Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. We're, we're in Matthew 5. We're like breaking up the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this is, this is one of those days, this is what I love about going straight through the Bible, is you can't hide from any topic. Um, but also at the same time, I just want to say... Um, we're going to start out talking about murder. This is going to be the best Thanksgiving day, uh, week. Um, and if you look, you'll see where we go. It's actually going to be a really fun one. Um, all right, so Matthew 5, 21. Uh, and this is, uh, this is Jesus um, continuing uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where he is if, if really, well, he's further explaining uh, the Ten Commandments, further explaining the laws of God. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny." So last time we were studying the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the fulfillment of the law. Um, and here he goes further into the moral law, explaining the intent of the commandments given by God. And he begins with, you have heard the commandment, thou shalt not murder, but I tell you, anyone who is angry is in sin. And, um, so up to this point, if you think about it, everyone who had not murdered someone felt pretty righteous. You know, you'd be like, I'm pretty righteous. I went the whole day and I didn't murder anyone, right? What a standard. Don't we wish that was the standard now, right? Like, I just, I didn't murder anyone. They're like, you're such a good guy. My neighbor, he's such a good guy. He's never murdered anyone. Um, and it may, but it may seem like Jesus is kind of contradicting the law because he says, you have heard, but I say, and whenever anyone says, but, it certainly feels like a contradiction, right? Have you ever had anyone apologize to you? And you're like, I am so sorry for what I did and what I said to you, but try it in your marriage. Try it with friends. It goes places. It goes places. You will find out that the argument wasn't the real argument at all. Um, but it's true. When someone like apologizes or says something and then adds, but you're like, oh, okay. Well, everything you just said before that is negated by what came after, Right. No matter what came before, when you say but, everything that comes after negates what came before. But that's not the word that's translated but. It would seem like Jesus is contradicting the law, but he's not. Because the word that's translated but can also mean and yet or and, like in addition to. Like you say, you've heard this, but in addition to that, rather than contradicting. And as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that Jesus is actually adding to the law. Yes, we, ha we have grace, but we're going to see Jesus is saying, this is the, the real standard. This is what God really wanted. As he explains what God wanted from his people, what he wants from us when he gave them the law. Because at the heart of murder is anger. 
right? The fruit that is murder begins with the seed of anger that is allowed to fester and grow. And, and this is the first time they've heard this. This is the first time they've heard this. And he's like, wait, God doesn't want you to be angry with someone. But it's not as if we, we could think, okay, well, God's changing what he told people, but he's not. He, he's not changing. He's not changing his desires about what he wants. It's all there to be seen. It was always there to be seen. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature. And he's talking about David. No, he's not. He's talking about David. He's talking about his brother. Because I have rejected him. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. Man looks upon the murder. Man looks upon the act. But the Lord, that wasn't, I just added that. Just so you know, that wasn't in that particular section. I don't want to be like, this guy's making up stuff in the Bible. But he says, the Lord, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's always been his way. God has always looked at the heart over deeds. And he continues to expand on this, saying, anyone who says raka to a brother or sister or says, you fool, which, you know, we're like, well, that's pretty tame, right? Um, he's answerable to the court and in dangers of the fire of hell for calling someone a fool. Who's in danger of going to the fire of hell, right? I mean, I don't even know. It says, like, if someone said, you fool, you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, you're a fool for saying it. No. Um, <laughs> But, and this word, raka, you might be like, what, is, what does this mean? And it means a cuss word, and I'm going to write it up on the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we, it's an untranslatable word. They don't really know what it means, but because it, or they, it more describes a tone of voice, right? A contempt for another. And, and calling someone fool, when you call someone a fool, you're implying an arrogant attempt for them. I, I'm, I'm better than you right? And though we might not always operate in full-fledged anger, I don't know anyone who just goes around angry all the time, right? So we might be like, well, I'm not, I'm not angry, but Jesus is talking about this like light contempt for a fellow man. And we can have contempt for anyone for a number of things. Let's just start naming things you can have contempt for people for, right? You can name a few, like you can have contempt for people who have a lot of money, people with no money, people who don't manage their money well, People of high position, people of low position, people with little knowledge, people with a lot of knowledge and think they're smarter than everyone else, right? Like there's always, you can, any way you look, you can like not have, you can have contempt for people, right? The seeds of anger begin so small. They just begin with just a little bit of dislike. And Jesus says, you're in danger of the fire of hell. And it's so funny to me that like some Christians like don't believe in hell because Jesus talks about it a lot. The two things he talks about the most are hell and money. It's true. It's what he talks about. And, and he uses different words or different descriptions of hell to give us a complete picture. But this time he's actually saying uh, Gehinnom, uh, which is the actual physical place that they know of. He's giving like, he, when he's talking about hell, he's in this particular instance, he's describing a place that they know of to give a picture, a vivid picture to them of what hell is like. So Gehinnom, it's well known to the Jews. It's a valley in southern Jerusalem, and it's basically a garbage dump. But it's worse than our garbage dumps, um, because in that time, with all the sacrifices and ceremonial laws and stuff, this is where they're dumping all the carcasses. This is where, where all the, the bodies of the animals are going. This is where, when something was unclean, this is where it was put. This is where the animal waste and the human waste goes, right? And it was the place where the Canaanites 
Prior to the arrival of the Israelites, this is where they performed human sacrifices, mostly with children. And that's probably why Jerusalem used it as a place to dump their garbage because it was already just a place of such filth. Who would want to settle there? And so they would light this stuff on fire and it burned every day and every night. And you can imagine this burning fire in the stench of this place. So it was a very clear physical picture to the Jews that they could see and understand what he's describing when he talks about hell, okay? So when you're like, oh, the lake of fire. Well, it's not just a lake of fire. It's a lake of burning poo and you. So it's pretty bad. I'm going to do an altar call right now. Does anybody want to avoid that? So, so then he further goes and he says, if you're about to give your offering at the altar and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave it there and, and go be reconciled to your brother or sister. And now, now this isn't how it's done. You can't actually do that. You can't actually, you can't actually be there and have your sacrifice ready and then go find someone. Can you imagine how mad everyone would be? You ever been at a store and they got to do a price check? Ugh. Like we're trying to get out of here. What if someone was like, I'm going to leave this here. I'm going to go get something real quick, right? You like lose your Christianity real fast. You're like, that's not how it works right? Can you imagine if someone's going to leave their sacrifice? That's not really how it works. But what he's saying, he's, Jesus is showing like the repentance and the forgiveness and the restoration is more important to God than the sacrifice. Because the sac- what's the sacrifice about? Restoring one's relationship to God. At that time, it was like, I'm, I'm making a payment for my sin, right? But if there's still anger, there's still sin. You're just going through the act of a sacrifice, but the, the problem is still there. The sin is still there. And sometimes we wonder why we might feel like there's a barrier between us and God. If there ever feels like there's a barrier between you and God, he's not the one who put it there. God is not the one who puts up barriers between us when we're talking to him and, said, and, and separates us from him. It's sin. It's our sin that puts up the barrier that separates us from him, that makes it so we can't hear his voice. Our unrepentant sin is the barrier between man and God. It's the very reason he sent Jesus to remove the barrier. But again, Jesus isn't setting up some new godly standard and saying, hey, this is a totally different thing I'm introducing. Because in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. God has always been more delighted in his people's obedience, in, in their hearts being after him, than their sacrifices. And when Jesus is saying this, he's speaking to the common Jew, and there are probably some Gentiles sprinkled in, but there are also Pharisees in the crowd. There were always Pharisees in the crowd. And Pharisees loved the law. They, they made up more laws. They said, hey, what, what do we really think they meant by this? Let's like expound on it. And they thought of themselves as righteous for keeping these laws. They thought of themselves as righteous for keeping these laws. But these same Pharisees plotted to kill Jesus. They planned it. They planned his murder. And sure, they're going to use Roman hands to do it right? They're going to manipulate it. So they're not actually doing the murder, murder, but in their eyes, in the law, in their interpretation of it, which is contrary to what Jesus is explaining, they feel I am righteous 
as they're plotting the murder of Jesus, right? But because they're not doing it themselves. And they're not getting what he's saying. They're sitting there with anger in their hearts, thinking, we don't know how far they were in the plotting, but at least having the idea, you know, have you ever had someone just talking and you're just thinking like, this person needs to die? (laughs) I don't, but they were. That's what they were thinking, because that's where their hearts were. It's like, this person needs to die. We're not going to kill him. We're righteous. But let's have someone else do it, right? And they, so they're sitting there hearing Jesus explain the law, explain what God wants, explain his heart. They're so close. They're sitting there, and some people are sitting there, and their lives are being changed. And they're like, man, God is speaking. God is explaining. I'm understanding what God wants. I feel like I know his heart. And they're sitting there, and they're unmoved and unchanged, thinking this doesn't apply to us right now. They're so close, man. That's so sad when people are so close, and they miss it. They don't get it. They, they, they just have this barrier in their hearts. But... but It was their anger that they had in their hearts right then that led to murder. It began with the intention. The act began with their intention. And so then Jesus continues this line of thought by referencing another commandment. You have heard that it was said, this is in verse 27, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And again, he says, you have heard, you shall not commit adultery. And yet, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. You see, it doesn't begin, sin doesn't begin with adultery. It begins with lust. And this is one we'd like to forget. And this one the Jews would probably wish they hadn't heard. They're all like, yeah, we're against that. Oh, wow, now you're talking to everybody. I don't like this, right? Like, and the church, I mean, let's just be honest. The church can be, I mean, pretty steadfast in decrying some things and saying, oh, that's awful. And we're like, oh, that person's so bad. Cast them out of the church. And, and, and I mean, it's a big deal. It does. It tears apart a home. It causes a lot of pain. But at the same time, but we're really silent about lust, which is the seed, which is just scattered throughout the church. And we allow, right? But we like to point, we like to pick things, just like the Pharisees. We like to pick things and blame and blah, 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 when we all can have the seed hidden in our hearts, right? Like, we bury our heads in the sand. There's a lot of things we don't talk about. I mean, most, most males in our society, and even females now, look at porn, and we just think it's part of life. It's okay. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? Like, and we don't think that it's, we don't think for one second that it's actually the major cause of adultery and infidelity and sexual immorality and perversion. I mean, Pamela Anderson came out and was like, now that I have young sons, I'm not for nudity and playboy and all this stuff. And you're like, she gets it. <laughs> She's getting it, guys. Well, how, how, how come we don't get it in the church? Because really with porn and this whole thing, this, this sermon's not about marriage and porn and divorce and stuff, even though we're going to touch on this stuff. But it's what Jesus was talking about. But let's get to the seed of stuff. 
Because with porn, which is like so readily available with, for, with phones, the more we see, the more we need to see. If you think your child or your son has infinite access to, on their phones to as much nudity as they could ever imagine, and then you think they're going to be happy with one woman for the rest of their lives, you are a rocker. You are. I'm in the dangerous of fire of the hell right now. But because the sin, the sin, and we're happy when sin isn't visible, but the sin is lust. It's a sin of the heart. And, and though Jesus is full of grace and mercy and loves on those he, con- he comes in contact with, he is serious about sin. But are we serious about sin? And not in a way where we're like, you're in sin, get out of here. But in a way of like, hey, let's, let's get to the seeds. Let's admit we all struggle with sin and let's not try to hide it or only talk about things or only like, like address it when something happens and then we expel that person when secretly we all have some seeds of sin in our life, right? Jesus is serious about sin, so serious. He says, if the right eye causes you to sin then you should gouge it out. That's how serious I want to be about sin in this church. No. And he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And that's pretty serious, right? And Jesus, let's just, Jesus isn't a proponent, a proponent of self-mutilation, okay? And that's not what he's about. But he's saying that would be better than the fires of hell. That would be better than the fires of hell. And to the Jews, this isn't just like, you know, just cut off your eye or cut off an arm. Because the right side, when he says, when he's saying your right eye and your right hand, the right side was the best side. It was the perfect side. It was the side of strength, right? Like even your profile, look at my right side, look at it. <laughs> look at my left side. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but like there, there, there was something to the right side. So when he's saying cut off your right hand, gouge out your right eye, he's saying it is better for you to remove your strength, remove the, the perfect side of you, remove what is best about you, and, and humble yourself before God than to go into the fires of hell. This, this video is going to get so many views on YouTube, I'm sure of it. I've said hell a lot. Um, it's going to, people love sermons on hell. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He further clarifies. Um, and so here Jesus is addressing how much the Israelites have messed up the intention of the law with their own intentions. In Deut- so in Deuteronomy 20, before I go into this next verse, it says, if a woman became displeasing to her husband, he could divorce her. And you might be surprised that God said that, but if we look at Matthew 19, which is later, so I don't know what I'm going to preach about in Matthew 19, but I'm just going to go ahead and... Um, Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Now, most believe, like when he says, if she's displeasing, it meant if she was unfaithful to you, but... The Pharisees like to be like, let's really think what that means. What could that mean? Um, so, so they thought, oh, maybe it means like if she made something you didn't like for dinner. That's displeasing, right? Or maybe like you don't like her appearance that day. Or maybe I don't really like the tone of her voice. She apologized, but then she said, but, right? Like, and, and they just started being like, oh, let's just do this. And at this time, women had no rights, okay? And it's funny when people say like, oh, you know, the Bible uh, is like anti-woman, but when we see what God said and what uh, Jesus said, he was f- stood up for them all the time. 
So at this time, women had no rights. They could just, a guy could just give her a certificate of divorce with, her, with a witness and send her on her way. You know, she made like mac and cheese and he's like, I want a steak. Bam, shh, can you sign this? Here, goodbye. And she, and she left. And, and, it, and it, you can imagine it had gotten so out of control. So much so, so much so. Maybe I should read this next verse first. Um, yeah, I'm going to. It says, Esben said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, and you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, why did he say that? But, like, it's had gone so out of control that people would divorce their wives, go out, marry another woman, have sex with her, then divorce her, go back and marry their wife again in the same day. So they were obeying the letter of the law. And the woman had no rights. So when Jesus is saying, when, you, when this is happening, you're throwing this woman around like she's a prostitute. You think you're obeying the law. You're not. You're displeasing to me. And you're making her... And you're, you're, he, this other man who's marrying her in the same day and having sex with her and trading her back, like they're committing adultery. And this was all happening like legally by the letter of the law of the Pharisees, maintaining at the end of the day, you could lay down, rest your head and be like, I'm a righteous man. So I'm pretty sure there's like spittle coming out of Jesus' mouth as he's saying this. He's just like, you guys, like, so this statement he makes is in defense of what's being done to these women. This is in defense of women. He's telling them, you aren't sneaking around the righteousness of God, Okay. This isn't righteousness. And then Jesus seemingly, seems like maybe he's all over the place, changes the subject to discuss vows. And he says in 33, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, uh, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That seems like a little bit of a change of subject, but it's not. It's a continuation of the last topic. And it's easy to see the correlation. You take a vow of marriage before God, it's a covenant relationship. Um, with a man and a woman and God, right? But vows don't mean anything anymore. I'm not just, I'm not talking about marriage vows. This isn't, like I said, this isn't a marriage and divorce sermon. At this time, when you made a vow, you swore by the name of your God. You would make a vow and you'd be like, I swear uh, by, by the name of God. In everyday life, not just marriage vows, people made promises in the name of God and then broke them right and left in God's name. Well, and why, I mean, if you think about it, why do we make vows anyway? Why, why do like things come out with like a pinky promise, you know, or like I swear on that, you know, like even when we're like when we're when we go to the court of law, and we're supposed to like be telling the truth, they're like now tell the truth, and you're like I am gonna tell the truth, and like put your hand on the Bible and make a vow that you're gonna tell the truth because I don't believe that you are unless you do that, and then people like totally continue to tell the truth after they've done that, um, but it's where we are, right? Like we have like hundreds of page contracts for like a simple agreement. Why? Because people don't keep their word. Vows, we, we, we give vows. Why? Because people don't give their word. 
or they give their word and they don't keep it. And God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be honest. Hold to your word. Be a man or woman of truth. And all this talk of marriage and covenant and vows that Jesus is laying out is important for us to understand and for his people to understand because it's an earthly picture of our covenant relationship with Jesus. The church is always called the bride. When he returns to get us, it's the return of the bridegroom, the marriage of the lamb. It's an imperfect earthly picture of an eternal covenant relationship in heaven. And God constantly refers to his relationship to his people as a marriage. In Jeremiah 3, 1 through 5, he says, If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers, talking to the people of Israel. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Look up to the barren heights and see, is there any place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside, you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. You've defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. I love that line, you refuse to blush with shame. Where, where do we get in our lives when we can do things and we've gotten to a point where we don't even have any shame or blush with shame about it anymore? We can actually be proud of it. He says, my father, my friend from my youth, will you always be angry? Will you continue? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk. This is God talking to me. This is how you talk. You prostitute yourselves. You run away from me. And then you say, will you be angry with me forever? And then you do all the evil that you can. All the evil that you can. And here we see a picture. When God is talking to his people, we get a picture of a faithless bride, a faithless Israel, a bride who's broken their vow to God again and again. They've made vows to God that they're breaking. The word they gave to God, they're breaking over and over again. He's like, you lie by the road waiting to prostitute. You're over there prostituting. Can you imagine being the prophet giving out this word? Right? God calls her a prostitute. And yet, in that same chapter, in verse 12, he says, go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord, and I will frown on you no longer for I am faithful. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me. Return, faithless people, for I am your husband. I will choose you one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. And then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. Here Jesus points out the heart of God concerning vows and covenant. He's showing the people, you are being faithful to the law, but you are not being faithful to me. And we all know it. You know it. I know it. I call you my people, but you're not mine. You call me your God, but I am not yours. But he still says, return to me, faithless bride. For I am still faithful. 
return to me. All I want, what Jesus is showing, he's like, all I want is your heart. I don't want you to make sacrifices. I don't want you to like hold tight to all these laws you've made. I want your heart. I want you to want me as I want you. That's all I want. I want you to want me like I want you. I just want your, want your heart. Stop working around me and just chase after me. And again and again, God shows that it's not our faithfulness that's one of relationship with Jesus. It's always been his heart for us. It has always been his heart for us. We are faithless. And we can look back and, be, and some of the things the Israelites were doing are things that would never happen today. And we can be like, they were such prostitutes, right? But really in our hearts, how often do we like, do we try to keep this appearance of like this perfect family, try to keep this appearance of a, a perfect church, try to keep this appearance like, oh, we're all happy and we all love each other. But really on the inside, we're just as messed up as everybody else and we're not truly seeking him and we're not truly trying to change. We're just trying to keep with that appearance of what a Christian should look like. God knows. He knows. And still... He wants us. Still, he's, I just want you to want me like I want you. He's done everything to make a way for the faithless bride to return to him. He forgives us over and over and over again. He gives himself, not just part, his whole self for anyone who wants it. He says, knock and the door will open. Seek and you will find. If you just knock, I'll give it to you. If you just seek, you'll find me. All you have to do is have a desire in your heart to find me and I will give myself to you. All you need to do is knock on my door and I will answer. That's all, all I'm asking of you. I'm not asking you to make this pilgrimage. I'm not asking you to do all these things. I just want you to seek me with all your heart. And this is Jesus beginning this dialogue with the people of Israel. He is preparing a way. They don't even know it. But he is talking about vows, and he's talking about a faithless bride, and he's talking about a faithful God and God wanting their heart. And Jesus is getting ready to prepare a way for a faithless bride to return to a faithful groom dressed in white. Can you believe it? That this prostitute that God calls out, you wait by the roadside. You're not even like a high-class prostitute. You're just here and there and everywhere. But he's going to make a way that the church, that the Israelites can be dressed in white for the groom and him not even look upon our past stain. Even as Jesus is talking about it, please don't feel condemnation upon this. This is, this is, throughout the Bible, Jesus is going to point out the way that we mess up, and we all mess up. But his point is always, but I still love you. I still desire you. But not because we atone for our rebellious ways. Not because we make up for it in any way. Not because all of a sudden, like, oh, I said the sinner's prayer. Now I deserve him. I got baptized. Now I deserve him. I went and I fed the homeless. Now I deserve him. I'm doing mission trips. Now I deserve him. These things make me deserve him. We will never, ever deserve him, but he's faithful anyway. And he still wants us because he loves us so much. And that's the thing. When you come to know God, the reason you want people to know him is because he loves us so much. He is faithful. He's so faithful that he drew an imperfect bride 
to him and washed her white as snow and paid for that himself to wash her white as snow. He didn't say, you do these things and you make up for what you've done and I'll dress you in white and I'll try to forget what you did. He said, you can never make up for what you've done. I will pay for it. I'll pay for that dress. I'll wash you white as snow. And when I look upon you, I will not see anything but what I've paid for. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are so good. I thank you that you are so good, Lord. I just pray that just as when you were speaking, speaking about the commandments and explaining to, to the people what you desire, Lord. I just pray that as we get in your word and read what you spoke, that we would just not feel condemnation, conviction if we need to, Lord, but that we would understand we're a broken people. We're a broken world. We need you. We all need you. None of us are perfect. All of us sin. And it is you and you alone who make it that we can lift our heads. It's you and you alone who takes away our shame. And I just pray that we would not hold on to our shame and not hold on to our sin and not hold on to our past, and not hold on to our guilt and not feel, like, not feel like that has shaped us. My past sins have shaped me. My past shame has shaped me, Lord, but that we would allow you to work in us, Lord, that you would renew our hearts and renew our minds and that we would be a people who are faithful and who love you with all our hearts and chase you with all of our hearts. Lord, I thank you and I praise you that you wash me white as snow and that you continually wash me white as snow. Because I don't deserve it and I don't earn it any better than anyone else here. And if there's one Thanksgiving message in this, Lord, we are thankful that you are so faithful to us. We are thankful that you take us as we are and that you dress us in white and you look at us like we're dressed in white when we might not feel like we're dressed that way, Lord. And I just pray that you would take over our hearts and minds that we could be convinced of who we are in you, that we could be convinced of our cleanliness, that we could be convinced of our new future and our forgotten past and help us to set it aside, Lord, and step firmly into being your bride and being as faithful to you as you are to us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.